Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. It's not just Forest Park and its great horned owls. Wildlife really is all around us in St. Louis, from the fox living in Tower Grove Park to the plants growing in our backyard. And the Missouri Botanical Garden, for one, is celebrating World Wildlife Day by thinking about our region's biodiversity and reminding us of the importance of sustaining it. And here today to tell us about the garden's efforts and to answer your questions about how you can assist in them are two garden staffers. The first is Quinn Long. He's director of the Shaw Nature Reserve. So, Quinn, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. And Erin Lynn Vogel, horticulturalist at the Kemper Center for Home Gardening. Thank you for being here as well. Yeah, pleasure to be here. And if you're listening, we want to include you in this conversation. Do you have any questions for our experts about how to make your yard more beneficial for wildlife? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So, Quinn, World Wildlife Day, it seems like something so broad and international. How do you see it fitting in with the mission of a local organization like the Missouri Botanical Garden? Uh, Well, it fits in really well. I want to point out that the theme of this year's World Wildlife Day is sustaining all life on Earth, which includes wild animal and plant species. I think people oftentimes think of wildlife exclusively as the animals. animals. Uh, But at the Botanical Garden, we're working to conserve plant life both locally and globally, and through those efforts are directly benefiting native biodiversity, including all the birds and insects and other um, wildlife that typically come to mind at regional and local and international scales. So it's, it's critically aligned with our mission. So at the Shaw Nature Reserve, I'm wondering what role that plays in shoring up biodiversity in this area. Yeah, absolutely. So that's key to the to the mission of the Nature Reserve is conserving our, our regional biota. And we do that through our ecological restoration program, three primary tenants, controlling invasive species, prescribed fire, which is both a natural disturbance and a stabilizing influence for our native biodiversity, and through actively adding seed of our native species. And we have a really positive impact, not only on the intrinsic value of plants, but the wildlife that depend upon them. I understand this is uh, 2,400 acres in, yes. in Gray's Summit. How do you how do you get rid of non-native species in when you're talking about a turf that big? Right. Well, it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a team. It takes the generosity of many strategic partners and volunteers who are critically important. And we have a really engaged community of volunteers dedicated to assisting with our ecological restoration program. We're making great strides to actively have management of the entire 2,400 acres. Hmm. So Aaron, what about those of us who are um, have much smaller yards that we're dealing with? Is there anything we can do that supplements these these biodiversity efforts? Yeah, absolutely. If you think about how much space everybody has combined, even just doing a small planting in your own landscape can make a big difference overall. If you're planting things for uh, birds, butterflies, anything, even if you can only do that on a small scale, all of that little bit adds up. And if you think of everybody in your neighborhood planted a native tree for some birds to live inside of, uh, then they would be able to have that huge expanse of habitat throughout the entire neighborhood. So they can kind of cross the street and, and sort of wing from tree to tree. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned birds and butterflies. Are there specific native um, plantings that are particularly good for, you know, these these really beautiful species that we all want around? We might not be so keen on some bugs, but who doesn't want a butterfly? <laughs> exactly. And so depending on what type of wildlife you're trying to attract, there are different types of things that you would want to plant for them. 
Uh, for birds, they want different things with berries throughout the year, uh, evergreens, grasses, things like that for them to be able to build their homes inside of. Uh, anytime that you're trying to attack pollinators like butterflies or bees, you want to have different nectar sources for them to be able to go and feed on again throughout the year. Um, and that's one of the most important things to think about when you are planning one of these gardens to try and attract wildlife is try to have um, food sources, especially when there's times like winter when there's not a lot of food everywhere to make sure that you're not building this big buffet for them throughout the summer. And then as soon as the conditions get bad, their food source runs out. So you want something that's going to be also flowering in the winter or, or being alive in the winter? So there's more bushes that hold their berries on. Think about uh, hollies or there's a couple different types of viburnums that actually keep those berries on through a lot of the year. Um, there's one plant called a coral berry that gets a beautiful purple berry and it's one of the last things that they eat because it isn't the most delicious thing mm. in the world, but when they get hungry enough, it's there for them. So that's like the brand flakes of, of that world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Quinn? It's also really important for us to keep in mind that if you're gardening with birds as an objective, you really need to be gardening for insects because mm. the majority of the caloric intake for our little baby birds is caterpillars. And those caterpillars tend to be highly specific in what they feed on, and those are native plants. So if you don't have those native plants growing in your yard, then we're not producing the abundance of insects that serve as a primary food source for our birds. So on that insect note, Aaron, you mentioned bees. I'm thinking bees, I'm thinking I don't wanna get stung. Is that the wrong attitude? Yeah, well, and so actually there's about 450 different native bee species in Missouri alone. Most of those bees, you don't even notice that they're around. They're not the hive swarming type of bees that hmm. you think of when you think of traditional honeybees. Uh, but they do just as much pollinating, and actually they can be better at pollinating different things because they're usually a little bit bigger and have a heavier vibration when they're flying. Um, so they actually can get in there and shake each individual little flower a little bit better than some of those traditional honeybees that you think of. Interesting. I, I feel like we think it's honeybees or nothing. That's not yeah, the case. Yeah, so actually our native bees are even more important as pollinators at a, at a regional scale. And for the home gardener, many of us are particularly concerned about how productive our tomatoes and peppers are. And our native bees, because they're not honey producing primarily, they're after pollen, not hmm. nectar. And so they're much more effective pollinators of those cherry tomatoes and peppers and also our, our squash and cucumbers as well. So how does this work? Say I'm a home gardener, I've never had anything going in my backyard before, mm -hmm. and I start introducing these plants. Um, are the bees and, and these other insects going to find them, or do I need to do something to, to help the right insects know, hey, we're here? There are a lot of steps we can take in our gardens, um, both more drastic steps, but also more gradual. So if we want to have bee habitat, we can leave some of the hollow stems of the previous year's growth that are really important for the eggs, not only of bees, but crickets and katydids. Mm and other beneficial insects, and also having some bare ground. We have a lot of native bees that nest in the ground that go unnoticed, and it's worth noting their stingers are typically too short to actually um, cause us any harm. So that's good. Yes. Um, but you say bare ground, so just leave a little patch of dirt? Just little patches here and there. We don't need to have every square inch of our yard covered with mulch, ground cover, or, or turf. Um, there are small spaces or large spaces that we can open up to provide real meaningful value for wildlife. I don't know if some of these homeowners associations are going to be liking this. I feel like in the city where everything goes, we'll be a-okay. Well, that's a really good point to touch upon is that people have a preconception that native plants and landscaping inherently mean kind of unruly and unkempt. 
That's one approach, but it need, need not be. Native plants can be grown in very formal settings and even interspersed with uh, other more formal traditional native plants that would pass even the most stringent homeowner association seal of approval. So you can make it work with a manicured grass setting. It doesn't have to be the, the field of prairie. Absolutely. Yeah, there's the full gamut from the kind of prairie garden and uh, more naturalistic habitat to highly formal settings that native plants are well suited for. So we're talking about these native plants. What about some non-native plants? Are there ones where you would say, if you've got this in your yard, you should rip this thing up. This is not helping our biodiversity to have this around. Or is it like children? There's there's no bad plants. That's that's a great point. Um, so the, one of the best things we can do as homeowners for native biodiversity is to start by removing invasive species. So if we look at non-native species, you may take a species such as ginkgo, which has a great structure, great street tree, really very little, if any, benefit for our native wildlife, but it's not invasive. It's mm. not actively spreading out into the landscape and causing degradation of our natural areas. Whereas if we look at bush honeysuckle, Japanese honeysuckle, winter creeper, and a myriad of other invasive species, those are actively spreading from your yard into the surrounding environment. So, so those are the ones you'd want people to rip those up. Exactly. And what would they? What would you want them to plant in their place, Erin? Any suggestions if suddenly I've got this, this big open space because I've gotten rid of the invasive plants in my yard? One of the things that I suggest people look into is just if there is something about that plant that you really liked and that's why it was there in the first place, try and find something that matches one of those. So like with the honeysuckle, there is actually a native bush honeysuckle um, that you could just very easily swap those out for. Um, with bittersweet, again, there's an invasive Asian variety, but we have another native American variety that you could use to switch it out. So a lot of plants that are invasive, there's a very easy, simple switch of just going from the one that has Asian blank in front of it to the American blank. And if people are wanting more information on what's that switch, is that something that you guys provide? or? Yeah, we have uh, lots of different information, both at the Kemper Center and at the garden in general. If you go to the Kemper Center, we have a plant doctor walk-in service daily from 9 to 5. We have a horticulture answer service that you can call into from 9 to noon on Monday through Friday, as well as an email service that you can go into. Also, the uh, MDC, Missouri Department of Conservation, has tons of great resources on their website and in different publications as well. And Quinn? And at Shaw Nature Reserve, we spoke about our habitat management at large scales, but we also have, as part of our core mission, a native plant horticulture program, the centerpiece of which is the Whitmire Wildflower Garden, the finest example of native plant horticulture in the entire Midwest, mm. and a real source of inspiration where visitors can come and see how native plants can be used in that full array of more formal to uh, naturalistic settings. And is that down in, in Gray Summit? Yes, it is. Okay, and that's open to the public? It is, in fact, open to the public, and if that piques one's interest even further, Further, we have the Native Plant School, where participants can enroll and learn about how to use native plants in different settings, and that's a program of both Shaw Nature Reserve with support from the Missouri Department of Conservation, a really important partner in this effort. You say it's Native Plant School. Are we enrolling in a, a four-year program here, or how long does it take to, to complete this course? Well, we have, we have monthly courses throughout the year and then uh, switch out which classes we have across the year, so one need not uh, enroll in the full uh, Bachelor of Science program. One can <laughs> take an individual course or as many as they like. So this is a pop-in kind of school? With registration, yes. Okay. <laughs> you can't literally just pop in, but you can sort of choose uh, the menu items you're most interested in. Absolutely. Okay. Well, it sounds like we all 
have no excuse not to get on dealing with this. You guys have a ton of great resources. So uh, Quinn Long, director of the Shaw Nature Reserve, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And Aaron Lynn Vogel, horticulturalist at the Kemper Center for Home Gardening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.